Since this commentary was recorded, I'm delighted to say that the oft-mentioned Vincent Brimble, who plays Tarpok in Warriors of the Deep, has returned to Doctor Who in Village of the Angels, and this time you can see his face. Welcome to this omnibus edition of Toby Haydoke's Time Travels, Happy Times and Places, in which I, Toby Haydoke, get a guest to choose a story and nominate their favourite things about each episode. I have to watch, be positive and guess what those favourite things are. Hello, Toby. My name is Jonathan Morris and I'm a writer. I write Doctor Who stories for Big Finish. I write um, articles for Doctor Who magazine. And I've recently written a huge, co-written a huge book for BBC Books called Doctor Who, The Monster Vault. Uh, so I'm quite well versed in all things Doctor Who. The story I've chosen is the um, Peter Davison classic adventure from 1984, Warriors of the Deep. Uh, because um, this has a great place of affection in my heart because it's one of the first ones I got on video. So I have probably seen Warriors of the Deep more times than I have seen anything else in my life. And I dearly love it. Um, I am completely and deliberately blind to all its flaws. I think it is a true classic, very, very exciting and brilliantly written, directed and acted. Special effects, um, absolute perfection from start to finish, as I'm sure you will observe when you do your, your watch. Well, hello. It's episode one of Warriors of the Deep. So let's see if we can sync up our viewing by all pressing play at the same time in three, two, one. Well, hello, everybody. Uh, we're going back to I think January 1984 this was broadcast because I seem to recall because it was certainly before the start of school I had been sent off to boarding school so I missed I missed Doctor Who up this season well I didn't the vicar taped it for me but that's another story apart from the first of the season which must have started before school did and I just, I think I just know it's Jan January 1984, but before I went back to school, and I certainly wa remember watching the first couple of episodes at my friend Ollie's grand's house. Uh, and it was so exciting because it had been announced in the Doctor Who Radio Times 20th anniversary special, which I still have a copy of in a, in a drawer upstairs. Not in as good nick as I'd like. Uh, saying... You know, it gave a brief precy of all the stories. It had done all the stories that that had been out, and that was a, I mean, that was a, 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 a treasure trove of hitherto undiscovered delights. And uh, and then at the end, it said, and here's a preview of what's coming up, which Doctor Who is celebration, the other great publication of Doctor Who's twentieth anniversary, which covered some of the same ground as the Radio Times, but it didn't have the what was coming up. It had longer descriptions and behind-the-scenes facts from the stories that had come before, but it didn't have uh, info about what was coming next. And, um, yeah, and, and all we knew was that the Silurians and the Sea Devils were back and together, which seemed like such an obvious thing. It was really exciting 
reading that the sea devils were related to the Silurians, which, you know, one had done when one uh, uh, discovered the history of the show, which the Target books didn't tell you. you. You know, the Target covers didn't tell you. So it was when you discovered, you realized, oh, actually, the, the you know, it's all weaved together. And I liked, loved the idea that they were sort of, the sea devils were was cousins to the Silurians. And then the idea that they'd appear in the same story. This was going to be amazing. Uh And nobody really likes Warriors of the Deep that much. Oh, I love the hidden spaceship there. Um, but I've got a bit of a confession to make. I have a soft spot for Warriors of the Deep because it is my favourite genre of story, which is lots of people trapped in a place, uh, many of whom die. <laughs> I don't know why. And they don't even have to be necessarily... The most interesting characters, which I'm not sure they are in this story, but that kind of works because there's a sort of stoical 50s B-movie thing going on about the characters and indeed the acting, which I'm not sure is deliberate, but I still adore. Uh, Davidson's hair is very short here, isn't it? Used to him being a bit sort of uh, floppier. I think he's been filming something else. But... Um, but yes, I, I, I mean, I, I remember, you know, certain things about this disappointing one, which maybe we will discuss, but I hope not. I'll be interested to see what it is that Johnny likes about it. His is obviously very tied in with his childhood, which is absolutely fair enough for the purposes of this exercise. You can choose whatever you like. Um I don't think the the, the, the the sort of the sea-based costumes have dated particularly. I think we'd probably make them less shiny and colourful, but I think I think that sort of thing will go in and out of... There is a bit of an 80s vibe. Oh, a little bit of film, uh, a probe on film. Um, I, I'm not sure we'll ever go to having... Uh, quite the, that sort of makeup on our on our on our on our sea base cruise although maddox is looking suitably sweaty which i like um in fact it's an incredibly good set here from tony burrow uh uh and they're really largely quite solid looking and and you know the gleaming white thing yeah, it's not what one imagined. It's certainly not what the script editor imagined, is he? he, he, he and the script writer, sorry, imagined, uh, you know, rust and metal and rivets and all of that, which is kind of how I imagined the arc in space. So I know the gleaming white thing. I know the logic behind it. It's cold. It's clinical. Uh, that kind of works for one kind of atmosphere. But actually, oh, he just knocked, he just knocked his Silurian panel there. That, that this is great they did not wake up as we had planned in the first place um there's something about a monster saying in the first place that is rather quaint uh i adore the fact that it's my friend vincent brimble i will perhaps go into that a little bit later i have lots of weird little connections with this story that might be of interest to me and nobody else but vincent is a fine actor here at the bottom of the credits playing tarpok uh who was originally, I believe, well, they were Skibus and Tarpok. Oh, and Skibus I have a connection with as well. I had some friends at university who were amused every time I said 
excellent Skibbus. So they actually got a cat and called the cat Skibbus. My dear friend Sarah, um, who now knows Billy off of Delta and the Bannermen, it all winds together, uh, uh, kept the cat called Skibbus. Um, but Tarpok, they were originally called First Companion and Second Companion, Skibbus and Tarpok. And then I think they figured, let's give them names, it's only fair. Always looks better on your CV to have a name, even if it's Tarpok. But he and he was originally called Tanpon, uh, and I'm not going to tell you probably the thought processes behind, behind why they thought they should change that name. Goodness me, I'm not. I don't want to be X-rated. Um, I remember thinking Maddox was a bit weedy when I first saw this, and then when I got it years later on video, which I got quite late because it was one that I had seen and. I think I didn't particularly care for it. Uh, being very impressed with what Martin Neal does in actually quite a difficult part. Nobody wants to play the sort of moany ingenue, well, you know, sort of apprentice, apprentice nuclear guy uh, who's under pressure and being manipulated. It's it's all fairly thankless stuff stuff to do, and I actually think he does a very very decent job of it. And I remember being quite pleased. He, he became a bit of a semi-regular in a thing called Down to Earth with Warren Clark and Pauline Quirk quite some time later. So his career had sustained. And he did. I've got a feeling, was he in a bit of Secret Army Orchestra or something? I may have mistaken that. Um, uh, whereas uh, Nitsa Saul, who plays Karina, was definitely in uh, Kessler. Um Sentinel Seven, and I don't remember this. Uh, again, I remember getting this on video, and this sequence was absolute news to me. I'd not remembered the uh, the uh, the episode delaying appearance of Sentinel Seven. It all ties in, of course, because the, down down in the sea base, they say, "Oh, we've picked up one of our probes has picked up an object," so that gets everybody on alert. So it it sort of ties in, but. Uh, um, this 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 would probably be quickly dispensed with, if used at all in uh, in in modern here. Who Davison has that breathless kind of. He's actually for an actor that doesn't look or remind you really in any way of Patrick Troughton. He has that sort of breathy urgency that Troughton gives everything. Uh, and 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 Troughton is probably his his. Well, he's got a bit Harley when he gets tetchy as well. He's very clever, Davison. I think he's such a good actor. Um, and I love uh, <laughs> the fact that uh, Pennant Roberts, the director, when he was presented with all male casts, would always uh, turn a couple of characters into women. That probably doesn't seem particularly bold now. Then I think it, it, it was. And he's, to his credit, in fact, he gets a lot of stick, Pennant Roberts. He would cast women in male roles without changing any of the dialogue, which means we get Ingrid Pitt as Solow. How well that pays off is up to you. Um, but Preston was also male, and we get Tara Ward playing the part. Um, I remember watching this with some friends from university, and they thought that locking away in a strong box until our task is completed was a an absurd line. It is quite... Yeah, it is quite a quite a laboured uh, analogy, metaphor, whatever. You know, you know, it's, yeah, it's quite, quite a laboured way of saying, don't let your conscience bother you. Lock it away in a strong box. Seems um, odd, odd uh, imagery to invoke. Um, 
But the other thing Pennant Roberts did was that whilst he liked using people he'd used before, he would also, I think, earmark a couple of parts for actors he didn't know, he didn't work with, or were new. And again, those two things, the turning male parts into female parts and using people he'd not used before, giving people a break, may sound tiny little things. They are huge in a profession where breaking through is difficult, where at this time, you know, having female parts that weren't rubbish was quite difficult. Um, so although he gets some stick for some aspects of his direction, uh, we can't all be good at everything. And I think those two sides of him, and apparently I never had the pleasure. Apparently he was an absolutely lovely fella. Um, and Tony Burrow is an Oscar-nominated designer who uh, designed these sets. He got an Oscar nomination for, I think, the Richard III that... Uh, Ian McKellen did on film um, uh, and he designed The Keeper of Traken as well and For to Doomsday uh, he's a very very good designer and there's there's you know the mult the, the double layer of this this set set you know gives it sturdiness gives it space there's an argument of course to say what it needs is sturdiness sure but less space and more crampedness uh, you know you, you'd lower the ceiling you'd make it like a submarine underwater claustrophobic i buy that argument uh but i don't think we lose a hundred percent for having the slightly in in, in a doctor a series that can sometimes feel cramped now you see if the lighting was like this for the whole thing it would look extraordinary uh bit of darkness bit of red light um so i yeah so i i, I understand johnny burn the script writer's disappointment that it was it was perhaps a, a, a bit brighter than he had hoped um but you but you can see that the designer was actually you know and you've got the double double set there with you could see the feet of 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 guards sort of walking on the second layer which again sort of just opens it up and gives the picture a bit more scope than normal i i used to love tegan's dress i quite 80s but i adored tegan's dress at this time there's a brilliant picture that came with the doctor who radio times 20th anniversary special that is tegan in that dress turlow and the doctor with a bit of dry ice and that adorned my bedroom wall for many many years uh uh and this this red lighting is very very effective this is atmospheric and of course this the idea of in 1984 um I, yeah, they said this is set in 2084, so exactly 100 years in the future. I'm not sure how I feel about that. I think we're now less keen to have such patterns, and you, you'd be more impressive if you set it 103 years in the future or whatever. Um, it just seems a little too neat. Uh, but um, the the whole nuclear thing was big. I mean, the, the BBC did a, a nuclear war season. I'm... And, and and did they show they certainly showed the war game by uh peter what's his face uh and uh which was a mock documentary about what would happen in the event of a nuclear strike uh and it was the most terrifying thing i've ever seen simply because it was so unshowy black and white had people like Michael Aspel playing news reporters. It was a faux documentary. It scared the life out of me, and I thought I was going to die. 
uh, and and you know the threat of nuclear war was very real. Uh, when the wind blows, uh, it was it, said for Zachariah. You know, the, it was it was something we were very preoccupied with the fact that two superpowers uh, locked in this sort of stalemate staring each other out all it would take would be one loony with his finger on the bitten and we'd be in button and we'd be in trouble um i i wonder how the orders are given in terms of um wearing your makeup on the sea base because it's uh it's 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 quite i'm gonna and i wonder what the thinking is i mean again it's the 80s isn't it so but but you know if you're doing alien the whole thing about alien was that uh, it was more down to earth. People had dirty cloths. People had open shirts. People sweated a bit. People, you know, didn't wash. It was, and that's what had been the major breakthrough with it. So it does seem a little bit retro. A few years later, to go, no, no. What we need to do is um, give people eyeshadow and blusher. And uh, uh, yes, Pennant, we know you've cast uh, a woman in a man's role, but she's going to get a whackload of uh, lipstick. Uh, I do like, I do like that little bit of business where. <laughs> they go to the the doctor and Turlo try to open the door one way and Tegan just very casually slides it open the other way Skibus, Iktar and Tarpok now because my friend Vincent who plays Tarpok wasn't originally going to be in it because Tarpok was going to be played by Norman Comer but then Robert Ashby who was going to play Iktar uh, got a BBC Shakespeare and I know this because I worked with Vincent at the Ludlow Festival. And then I later worked with, no, I earlier, prior to that, I'd worked with Bob Ashby, um, who'd shown me his, some of his, his showreel with his BBC Shakespeare, Pericles, um, and because he later went on to play the Borad for Pennant Roberts, um, but had had to drop out of playing Iktar. Um, he had a wonderful voice, Robert Ashby, and he was a former partner of Louise Jameson. So Robert delighted in telling me on how much he hated Doctor Who. <laughs> but he didn't tell me he hadn't been in, he'd failed to get in Warriors of the Deep. Um, but he hadn't. So Norman Comer got promoted to play Iktar and Vincent came in quite last minute to play Tarpok. That's a bit of Silurian politics for you guys. Uh, but Vincent, I then worked with, I think the year after I worked with Bob at the Ludlow Festival, I was a local, you know, spear carrying college student and all the actors who'd been in Doctor Who were very kind to my tedious questions. I remember my friend Oliver and I, as we watched this, knowing the Sea Devils and the Silurians are going to turn up, going, oh, well, that's the end of the story. You've basically just gone, well, you have some stuff here that can kill the monsters that are invading, which seemed to us massively naff. Now, of course, the reason it's foreshadowed is because the question of whether you use it is the moral dilemma but to us that was the end of the story we just went well they're going to use that to kill the monsters then once you've introduced something that can kill your monsters it's very unlikely that that then won't kill your monsters and you'll do some something else but actually as i say again when i revisited this when i was older the the, the moral dilemma and the doctor's righteous indignation and his refusal to to use it first without thinking of something else does raise some interesting issues and and sort of pumps the drama up so um i still think it is a bit odd to go we've found the solution in episode one 
But then, of course, you don't want to introduce it in episode four and everyone goes, oh, great, okay, in one bound they were free. So if you're going to have something that is inimical to, your, to bad guys, I suppose they did choose the right place, but I think it does mean they, they painted themselves into a corner a little bit. Um, I mean, I love that the baddies have baddie names, They're called Nilsson and Solau. Um they behave like baddies, they look like baddies, and Ian McCulloch has a baddies voice. I mean, they both have a baddies voice. Uh, Ingrid Pitt ha has an accent, which is enough to be a baddie in 1984, I'm afraid. Um, he doesn't have a line later, Vorschach, where he goes, I trusted you, Nielsen. You go, why? It was really obvious he was glowering away with his hooded eyes like a baddie. Uh... But, you know, this is when I, when I was growing up, the films that I loved were things like Alien and Aliens and the Doctor Who's were all the season fives. I was, you know, read the books uh, and Horror of Fang Rock, you know, the ones where a group of people are trapped in a place uh, and, and you have to get sad about who dies next. You have Poseidon Adventure, you know, a group of people in a place doing a perilous thing and, you know, every five minutes one of them dies. And it was, I thought that's what drama was. And in fact, you know, I'm... I can sort of live, I can sort of live with drama being that so you know and the, the Satan pit uh, impossible planet it's a bit you know a bit like that. I, I it's 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 a way of doing things that Doctor Who returns to and I for one don't mind even though I understand that there are you know if 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 people if that doesn't float people's boats well it makes mine sail uh, they're doing lots of good door action there to, to Mark Strickson who's always busy as well. The, the, uh, and again, this is very <laughs> even walking up and down corridors. These guys have to do so much of this. The fact that they go to great lengths to make it interesting is is something we must be grateful for. It's an undervalued uh, uh, a skill. Well, it's a redundant skill now, but I think it should, would have been on your spotlight page. Very good in corridors, uh, basic sword fighting, uh, conversational French, and juggling. <laughs> Um, and I remember Vincent coming to my house and uh, uh, and watching a bit of this with me. I made him, uh, and uh, and he said that Nigel Humphreys, who played Bulick, was with his agency uh, at the at the time. So maybe that 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 was you know who I think was probably somebody like Barry Burnett. Um, but um, Nigel Humphreys is still about, and he was in everything. He was in Scum, and he was the he was the lorry driver. She's oh, Solo's done an evil smile. You're bad. Um, yeah, Nigel Humphreys as Bulick um, was the, he was the lorry driver that kills Andy, the first person to first regular to get killed off in EastEnders. Not the first person to die in EastEnders because EastEnders does, begins with a corpse. Reg Cox, played by Johnny Clayton who was one of the planetarians in Mission to the Unknown. Why do I know these things? Um, but Nigel, yeah, Nigel Humphreys was everywhere, always playing sort of, you know, sort of stoic. You know, he was very good value in, uh, in, in you know, because he, he, he could do sort of middle management types, but also lorry drivers. Um, uh, but uh, hasn't been seen for a while. He's turned up at a few, a, a few events that friends have been to, but not, not sort of, fan events and stuff like that but doesn't seem I don't think anyone's ever managed to get an interview with him or a signing or anything which is weird because he was sort of somebody you took for granted because he was on telly all the time 
Uh, clever set here because I think there's only six sea devils and thanks to a mirror there looks like a lot more um, uh, and I like the green lighting and the smoke that's all quite atmospheric um, uh, and this is uh, see this is massive it, it's got a real sense of scale about it and, and water inside uh, is uh, is very impressive stuff um, Oh, and I suppose I've got to be choosing something I like about this episode. What do I? What have I enjoyed particularly about this episode? It's it's weird because it's been it's been it's been it's been chuntering along really. I do I do like that uh, uh, the, the the revival of the Sea Devils. They look pretty cool. Um. I, but it might have to be I might have to choose the corridor acting of of the regulars because they've done some marvelous things with doors and going one way and coming the other I mean they haven't interacted with anybody yet this is the first time they interact with anybody oh when I say run run that's a lovely thing uh and there's a I think that's quite he he kicks this guy in the head doesn't he um when he yeah here we go i think he's about to thwack somebody in the in the face look at this bang uh but uh, that's cool there's i talk about the sturdy sets and i always say that doctor who doesn't have many wobbly sets but <laughs> this is a sea base that might fall to bits uh nice stunt but i don't know i mean i know turlo has recently uh been on a quest to kill the doctor but if 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 I fall if I slip down in my bath or fall over in a puddle and my friends go, he's drowned immediately. I will be furious because it will take you a lot longer to drown than that. But it's a great, it was a lovely shot and a great stunt um, and a good sequence that actually. Um, uh, and you know, setting up a sort of sweaty red light, oppressive, atmospheric. Base under siege. What's not to love? And they've called the third Silurian Tarpok, uh, <laughs> which has saved us all any number of levels of embarrassment. Vincent's not bottom build, is he? Uh, they say, no, it's P Paroli. I will talk to you about Paroli, uh, who was also at a Ludlow Festival when I wasn't there. Oh, and Alistair Mitchell, who is the cameraman in the in the water sequence, which was done at Shepperton, um, because they couldn't get to Ealing, and which is why it's on. Uh, videotape because you could use videotape at Shepperton. Um, Alistair Mitchell is the dad, or was he's dead now, of the woman who wrote Fifty Shades of Grey. So Fifty Shades of Grey uh, is connected to Doctor Who via Warriors of the Deep. You heard it here first, folks. Um, right now, I've got to where have I put? Because I've got to pause. I've got to pause uh, before we start again. Oh, here it is. Right, so I'll have to, I'll have to go back on that when we uh, do episode two. I was getting carried away with my Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, uh, well, you'll have to tie me up and whip me in punishment. Ah, uh, so I assume that's what it's about. I've never read it. Um, I, I think, I think I will choose. I don't think it's too glib to choose. Um, the, the. The sort of because and I have mentioned it in previous commentaries about Davison uh, is the sort of is the sort of corridor the A to B acting of the regulars 
who are always finding ways to make that sort of necessary stuff quite interesting. So, and, and you know, when Turlo and the, the Doctor talking about the nuclear stuff, which is which is a bit of exposition, but it's important stuff, you know, they're doing that whilst whilst struggling to open a door and then Tegan opens the door the correct way and then you get the proton. Yes, probably. So they so the conversation on the script is nothing to do with the action going on is rather neatly then put into a scene that's just slightly more interesting, slightly more witty. Uh, and then there was a bit later where Turlo, where Mark Strickson sort of flinched because he nearly got caught by the shutting door. Uh, and I just think they, they keep it lively, especially when they haven't had a chance to speak to another human being in the cast bar you know, Sentinel-6, which is the voice of James Coombs, who is Paroli. More of him later. Uh, so the corridor acting of the regulars is what I am choosing as my favourite thing from episode one of Warriors of the Deep. What has Johnny Morris chosen? My best thing about episode one is the fact that in the future, men wear eyeshadow and cheek blusher, thus suggesting a whole sort of revolution in sort of um, the whole gender androgyny thing, uh, which is wonderful. Well, actually, he does make a point uh, because, you know, I, I, I suppose looking back on it, you know, in my fusty old cardigan and going, oh, it's a bit, it's a bit high camp because it's eighties blusher and stuff. In fact, actually, instead of being a bit of a throwback to the sort of glitzy 80s in fact it might be a very forward thinking look at the fact that gender is 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 certainly not as clearly delineated uh now uh as it is it was betwixt 1984 and you know even sort of 10 years ago or so and that actually instead of being a bit of a sort of um camp misalignment that i sort of mocked in my heteronormative way guilty as charged um it actually might end up being quite a prescient uh, thing to be celebrated that actually people the, the people are comfortable to express uh, themselves in totally different ways and that things that we associate with male and female are actually a bit more fluid and interesting than that. So, yeah, I, I'll, I will go. I will go along with that, Johnny Morris. Uh, that's something that I sort of highlighted as being a bit silly. You've you know, you quite rightly... Um, uh, seen in a in a sort of more positive and forward thinking way on ix i will take that uh uh <laughs> yeah okay good um i'm happy with my choice i'm happy with johnny's choice um uh, i'm gonna have a sip of sip of water there, although actually i uh, be careful because i mean i i could i could drown in that oh. uh well until next time uh hold your breath Well, welcome back to Warriors of the Deep. It's episode two. We're all in a base. We're about to get besieged. Press play. Now. And there we go. Uh, so, welcome back. Opening story of season 21. Doctor was riding so high at this point. The, the, the last thing we had seen had been the five doctors. Um, Ed Stradley makes a very interesting point in the documentary of this, that this is the sort of point that Doctor Who 
started its downward turn in the eyes of the public in that you know it's riding high from the five doctors the, the doctor with celebration was out doctor who 20th anniversary special was out uh, uh and then you know this story starts the next run uh and it's 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 on a brightly lit, lit sea base and has uh the end of episode two of this which is perhaps which is a clip that's been used to illustrate even by michael grade on room 101 how bad in inverted dot commas doc two is now i have to mention this now because uh, the stunt guard here uh, the one without the moustache is trevor steedman who's trevor steedman he's private witzbowski who's private witzbowski well anyone who loves the film aliens will know that you know all of the marines have a have a, a sort of different thing going for them. And there's lots of Doctor Who types in there. Rico Ross from Greater Show in the Galaxy, Tip Tipping, the stuntman from the McCoy era. Uh, and Trevor Steedman, who plays Wirtzbowski, who you see in about three shots. And you don't hear, uh, you don't see die, but there is when it's sort of all going do lally on the head cams. You hear, Wirtzbowski, Wirtzbowski. And he goes, ah! Um, and I think there's been a website dedicated to Wirtzbowski. And he's a bit of a sort of cult figure amongst people who are fans of the Marines in uh, in Aliens. And he is the most elusive of them all because there's about three shots of him. Uh, uh, he, he doesn't do an awful lot. But, you know, all of those Marines are great, great uh, sort of characters and their whole the whole thing that they've got going on between them is a, is a source of fascination for Aliens fans. And it's Trevor Steven because he was a stuntman. He's a UK stuntman. Um, died a couple of years ago. Uh, yeah, no, about four years ago now. Um so there we are. So a name, yes. So a link to aliens. That that sequence has. There's Trevor Steeman. There we go. Uh, a link to. Oh, so this bit's still, this bit's still at Shepperton. I wouldn't. That wouldn't have occurred to me, because those those guards are only on OB. Uh, and this would have would have intended to be done on film. Um, so you don't get the. But it actually looks great on videotape because sometimes film makes the. Now if that if that set had been made of worse material, as it were. Uh, um, it being shot on film would have covered up that embarrassment and you'd have had lovely sort of post-dubbing and to, to clunk the sound effects but actually didn't didn't need it because it looked because it's all great uh, uh, so actually maybe maybe that airlock bit isn't at Shepparton maybe that's somewhere else that's where the water tank is I don't know do you know what? I don't know. I've just told you loads about an extra. An airlock, you can look it up. I'll put a subtitle. Uh, <laughs> I'll say something afterwards. I think I've got a feeling this is on location somewhere. And this is this is a real airlock. I don't think this is a set. Uh, but I could be wrong, but I'm committed now and I'm not rewinding. Um, yeah, I think the, the water stuff, the hydroponic stuff was at Shepparton. And that that airlock is somewhere else. I certainly know the water that Davison had to swim in was really cold. Um, so, and of course, the, the doctor didn't want to. Gosh, her makeup is. Oh, I love, but I uh, yeah, the makeup is what Johnny Morris said. It's quite it's quite rainbow. She looks a bit like Kronos actually, uh, having been in the Time Monster herself. Ingrid Pitt, Hammerstar, returning to Doctor Who from the Pertwee era. Uh, that was a lovely bathing of light in the uh, in the Sea Devils. I'm niggled about that airlock. It's going to annoy me. Uh, I try to get things right, 
<laughs> but actually, that wasn't the task I set myself with this. It was to watch this and enjoy it, not not be a perfect oracle. So I've got to I've got to stop. But you know what you know what you're like, Doctor Who fans. Ah, the other thing uh, about uh, guards in this is um, is that uh, we have to play spot the paroli because paroli is played by james coombs another actor who appeared at the ludlow festival this has so many ludlow is a small market town which i was brought up 10 miles outside of but every year they have a shakespeare play in the castle they don't anymore uh, but it was an open-air shakespeare and the visiting company was always professional actors doing a shakespeare uh, and my, my my brother was one of the princes in the tower um and and richard the third was edward woodward that's the sort of casts they were getting um and so then when I, I came of age and it was my turn i did merchant of venice with james ellis uh, uh and then and then I, I i carried on and so vincent brimble tarpock was in as you like it with sylvester mccoy as touchstone john gordon sinclair as orlando uh and then skibus and tarpock uh and and then Vincent came back and was in uh, loads of them, uh, including um, uh, he did a, a, an Othello in which he played Lodovico with um, Colin McFarlane from Under the Lake uh, and an actor called John Darrell playing Rodrigo who said, oh, yeah, my brother designed uh, Doctor Who a lot in the 80s. I said, Darrell? There's not, not a designer called Darrell. He said, oh, no, he's called Tony Burrows. Uh, which is Tony Burrow, so I don't know why I called him Burrows either. So there's something going on with the nose. He said, yeah, my brother's Tony Burrows, who's the, who's the designer. And Tony Burrow, there's a picture of him in the Radio Times 20th anniversary special, and he went on to design films, but he's never been interviewed by the, the DVD and Blu-ray range, but I'm, I think he, I'm assuming he's still about, so I don't know quite what's happened there. Um, and John was a wonderful, eccentric, proper old character actor, fruity, um, but I never got to meet his brother. I worked with John a couple of times. Um but so Ludlow Festival, which was my sort of, which was my, you know, the, the first place I got a whiff of the grease paint. Uh, and, and these act, any actor that had been in Doctor Who, I made a beeline for. And uh, they were they were very, very, very kind. Um, and Vincent Ribble and James Coombs had been in, in Ludlow Festival, who plays Paroli, before I was old enough. But he was in The Tempest and... Prospero was Bernard Breslau from the Ice Warriors. Caliban was Frank Windsor from the King's Demons and Ghostlight. Although he hadn't been in Ghostlight then. Um, I don't think he'd been in King's Demons then either. Um, uh, uh, and Stefano and Trinculo was Sylvester McCoy and Jim McManus from uh, The Invisible Enemy. Oh, so, you know, it was a gold mine. It was always a gold mine for Doctor Who actors and I'd occasionally get their autographs and it made me very happy. Um... Uh, but James Coombs, you you were hard pressed to spot in this. He was the voice of Sentinel Seven in Episode One, and he's basically any guard that says anything. And they they all have the all encompassing name of Paroli. I've got a, I might have made this up, but I think he dies about three times. But basically, if if there's a guard with a line, it's Paroli. James Coombs, whose main claim to fame, apart from that, he was going to be the voice of the Krags in Sharda, missed out on that. So Pennant Roberts gives him a job. That's nice. 
That's it's, that's his voice. That's James Coombs' voice. He's the milk tray man. He's a very handsome, good-looking. He's now grey. No, that's not a pejorative term for anybody that's not watching the video version. I'm as grey as you like, and James Coombs has more on top than I. But a, he's a very handsome James Bondy sort of looking actor. Um, uh, but yeah, he was going to be in Sharda, but uh, but he's in this. But as as sort of yeah, random talky god. Uh, Mark Strickson does not get enough credit. He's a really interesting actor. He's a really pesky actor. He 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 has a really uh, a really sort of dirty energy about him. Uh, you know, he's he's got a sort of spiteful vibe going on, but he's he's not afraid to sort of mix it up, and he's very good at looking behind him when he's you know musing about catching the camera but he's I, I i the way he delivers lines is 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 really interesting he, he always keeps it fresh and i think the companions have such a tricky job um a lot of the time in in all who but in 80s who uh, uh and i i think he's he's a fascinating very watchable uh performer um one of the female sea base guards uh is is bald which i always liked i always thought it was a a, a little bit of a uh there's a little bit of persis Cambata from uh star trek the motion picture about it uh about that look although I, i'm looking now i'm wondering if i've imagined that and they've just got their hair scraped back i'm sure there's one lady who's who's bald uh or if not she's just appeared bald to me in the past few decades uh this is great davison he's got he's He's got a bite to him there. I wouldn't if I were you. Yeah, that wet vet soubriquet is incorrect. He's got guts, Davison. Uh, he, you know, he he would be useful in a fight. He just doesn't always, you know, de deploy the piss and vinegar. Uh, Tara Ward here playing Preston. I, uh, she was married to Ray Lunnan, who's in Frontier in Space. There's James Coombs. There we go. Spot the paroli. It's the Where's Wally. That's your game for Warriors of the Deep. Uh, where's Wally is spot the paroli. It's the same thing. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, Tara Ward, lovely woman. She writes sort of self-help books now and is, and is a very earthy, spiritual, crystal-y lady who was married to Ray Lunnan from Harry's Game and Frontier in Space and the Sandbaggers. Lovely actor, Ray. Brilliant bit. The Doctor showing his trust by going i'll give you my gun and that how better to to get them to trust you under these extreme circumstances they're about to find themselves they sort of go well this guy's a bit weird but he's done that thing and that plants a seed in in vorschach's head of going all right because vorschach's not a fool um, uh, yeah, that's a very funny bit where Turlo gets to do a I was right all along and the incidental music goes ah, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> I think it's a bit on the nose but I, I quite like it I I think the, the, the oh no because they're, in, they're inside the submarine aren't they so that's like the eyes of the submarine so I was going to say I, I think I'd have preferred this to be a bit slimier and more organic I still think I probably would although I like I do like the submarine from the outside I just—it's non-alcoholic, uh, listeners. I've just poured—I've just poured my drink down my cravat. Ha! Uh, oh God! 
I'm, I'm, I, I was, I'm a, ah, a rep actor waiting to happen. If, if only I'd been bought 40 years earlier, I could have always spilt lager down my cravat. It's non-alcoholic, so I don't even have that excuse. Is one of those bald or is it all just hair scraped back? Oh, and Karina, I loved Karina when, uh. When 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 this was on, she was a character I really latched onto. She's she's not as prominent as she, she has the lovely bits with Maddox, but she's not as prominent as uh, as she was when I was a young man. You know, she was she was she was the nice one, Karina. She was the friendly one. Um, you sort of really bought into her. Um, he's 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 really on the nose here Davison and 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 I so I have a grudging admiration for Tom Adams as Vorschach because it is a very chiseled performance um I, I, what some could say chiseled out of mahogany but I he has a kind of stoical 50s undemonstrativeness about him that he's he's sort of acting like he's in a B movie and and he was I mean, he was a he was a really interesting. Um, he had an interesting career, Tom Adams, because he was in that that James Bond spoof. He was a bit of a movie star in the in the sixties, and he's also he's in The Great Escape. Um, and then he he'd done a series called Strike It Rich. So I knew him uh, when when he was on this. He was he was known to us as as an actor. You know, it was it was we were you know it was like oh oh Tom Adams. You know, he's in it. That was that was impressive. Uh, uh, and uh, and then he later went on to advertise sofas forever. Um, there's a uh, if you're if you're not from the UK listening to this, there's a sofa company called DFS who never don't have a sale. That's the joke. And he always did the DFS sale. But then there were other programs where he spoofed that DFS guy image. Um, and he also you know he carried on doing acting roles in Casualty and things like that. You know guest guest parts in things. But I, th I think he never quite shook off the, you know, he committed to being the DFS guy and that, that, that made him a slightly sort of cheesy presence on our screens, which, as I say, good for him, he, he sort of sent up. But for somebody who had a, he, he you know, he was a guy that people, you know, he could he could have been a Bond, he could have been a uh, one of those sort of smooth British stars. And he did have some of that, that kind of stuff going on in the 60s. Um, but I know I know somebody who 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 worked with him in the eighties who who said he seemed very disappointed. Uh, I interviewed him, I have to say, um, for a series of DVDs, uh, and I found him very relaxed, very casual about the whole thing. Didn't take any of it seriously, uh, you know. Yeah, perfectly happy, um, and 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 quite a jolly fellow. Um, so, uh, and he yeah he died not long after that. I was quite surprised. Um, but this, you know, this sea-based uh, stuff is 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 great. You know that you know we are in a we are in a place locked up with guards. Uh, well, yes, of course, and and you know the two power blocks. They don't name them, but in 1983-84, you know, Russia and America were pointing at each other with nuclear missiles you know their f their fingers were made of warheads uh that's paroli talking there <laughs> he's 
Uh, is that him in the background as well? Is he everywhere? Um, and and I, it it didn't strike me as a kill him. Yeah, that's it. and Davison's like, oh yeah, cheers. Um, um, he's he can be quite terse when when dealing with authority figures. Davison, he's you know he he's petulant is the wrong word, but he's you know he he's uh, no, that's not Paroli. Uh, why didn't Paroli get to say no, ma'am? Um, oh, because probably because he's here. No, yeah, because he's here saying no, sir. He he can't be. He can't. Be, I mean, he's a man of many talents, but he can't be at two airlocks at once. And it's interesting because there's, there's actually been... A, I mean, the Sea Devils and Silurians, those scenes in the submarine are a bit sort of ploddingly done. Um, and, yeah, we've to, I've talked about the, the atmosphere that you could have in this base that, that doesn't. But there's, there's nothing that's setting this out as... This had a terrible reputation. For many years... Uh, and, and, you know, it was, it was definitely not loved uh, amongst anybody that I spoke to in the you know the late 80s early 90s if ever I spoke to anybody about any Doctor Who fans you know I don't think it, it, it's 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 it looks any worse than a lot of what was around at the time and and as I say it has a it has a kind of b-movie charm about it that that utterly wins me over if this was a Sunday afternoon and I just wanted to chill out and uh, watch an action adventure Doctor Who doing action adventure which it sometimes chooses to do and I'd you know and I'd seen Earthshock recently and some of the Resurrection of the Daleks recently uh, this is certainly uh, Eric Saywood's cup of tea isn't it where you and I, I believe he is that a bald lady oh no maybe not maybe I imagine the bald lady and it's just their hair scraped back um, uh, Eric Saywood killed off Vorschach and uh, Preston, who who don't die in Johnny Burns' script, to, because because Eric Saywood, you know, thinks killing people is dramatic, and I I I don't think he's incorrect. And as a kid, his sort of blood and thunder and violence was what I wanted. I didn't want philosophical conversations uh, on a spaceship or uh, you know historical pageantry. I wanted tough talking people getting killed. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I'm sorry, I did, and you know the fact that this has the m morality element to it. Are we doing the right thing? Uh, do I have uh, the right? And it's not. You know, there should have been another way. All of that is, uh, is, you know, is is to its credit. Um, that now, obviously, the Merca is uh, is armed with some sort of electric charge that reduces metal doors to sponge. <laughs> that is, that is right because this the Merca was delivered earlier. Matt Irvin, bless him, he was on swap. He was the visual effects guy who did this. He was the face of BBC visual effects. He was like the visual effects guy who was always on Swap Shop, the uh, the, the 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 Saturday morning show. Uh, and he was he yeah he was very much the. Uh, uh, the ambassador for the visual effects department and I wrote to the visual effects department because I was trying to get hold of Jack Kine and Bernard Wilkie its founders because I was wanting to write a book about Quatermass which I'm still doing but this was in 1989 so I was 15 <laughs> boy you got I can't knock a guy for trying uh, and instead of just forwarding my letter Matt Irvin rang me up and said 
oh, well, I could tell you a bit about Quatermass. Uh, and yes, we're going to forward the letters as well. Uh, so I got back from school and had a chat with Matt Irvin, the visual effects guy from Swap Shop. But he mentioned, you know, and I said, oh, because I know your name from Doc 2, of course. He said, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of done with that now. Uh, because um, it's horrible the way she smiles because she thinks he's going to be nice to her. And Martin Neal does this brilliantly. He doesn't want to strangle her. That's really well done from him. That's really, he's being forced to strangle her, but he's not, he's not being wimpy about it either. There's a, you know, he's acting against his will and his, his, his brain is saying one thing and his face is saying another. Well done, Martin Neal. Poor old Karina. She didn't make as much of an impact on me subsequently, but when I, when, when I first watched this, she was, that was really sad. Uh, so Matt Irvin, who, yeah, who, who designed the Merca, he was on another job. Uh, so there was a delay and then then the studio was brought forward, wasn't it? Because the election was coming up or something. So so this story was compromised by its production schedule. Uh, and I know it, 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 it adversely affected Matt's relationship with with Doctor Who, which is a shame because he's a he's a legend uh, and the only man in the universe that can get away with a mullet. Uh, he's he's great, Matt Irvin, and he's always been very helpful, you know, subsequently with DVDs and things like that. But but he rang me, a 15-year-old school kid, a dreamer, uh, and spoke to me very, very nicely uh, 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 and and without it seeming like I was getting a, a, a royal visit, which in my house, in the middle of nowhere, as a 15-year-old schoolboy who just got back from school, it really was. Uh, salute you, Matt Irvin, even though you're not happy with the murka and the fact that it was still covered in green paint. Uh it's actually a decent from the from the sort of neck up it's decent it's um i mean it very ambitious and the story doesn't really need it uh but actually the sea devils and the silurians don't move any any quicker uh, that's good good uh stoical acting there from uh uh, Nigel Humphrey Bullet going, I'm doing this. I'm going to have to do it. Um, I liked, I remember liking Bulick at the time. I'm I, I'm glad he survives. <laughs> the only one. Braveheart, that thing's going to kill us. See, I don't think, oh, that's not actually too bad, the old Merka. Is it? I, this, this, I think it's because of the distance. This, there were certainly shortcomings to this when I watched it when I was... 10. I remember me and my friend Ollie were, were, were quite we loved Doctor Who but we were quite oh that hasn't quite worked has it and we thought the, the Merca was a bit naff I, it's funny with, with a bit of distance of time I actually don't don't think it looks and this looks any better or worse than, than, than anything that's around it and I think some things have dated okay but again that, that might be because I've come into this with a positive attitude who knows um and i've got various personal connections there's been a lot of those in this commentary i'm very sorry about that uh, what facts what facts did you learn from that that toby met some people vaguely related to some of these people sorry um what do i like about episode two of or more more exactly what does johnny morris like about episode two of uh, Warriors of the Deep because it's sort of that I've got to guess what he might choose. Um, 
Uh, ah, I like the bit. I like the scene where the Doctor gains Vorschach's guarded trust. He breaks the ampass when everyone's pointing guns at each other by going, have my gun, trust me. Uh, and Davison, because he's had the, the thing, his, his hair's slightly sweaty and his, so his eyes... Uh, and his, and his face is a bit flushed, so his eyes sort of pop out a little bit more. So he's he's looking a bit sort of action hero-y. Uh, but yeah, the Doctor giving the gun to Borshak. That scene. What has Jonathan said? My best thing about episode two is that it's the first time that the Doctor is allowed to be funny. Uh, when he um, puts on the guy's um, hazard suit and says, What have you been eating? <laughs> I was going to mention that I was talking to it because that's a bit that Davison added. Um, and I remember, you know, when I was putting the DVD and I thought, oh, I will need to say something about that because I sort of believe it. I don't I don't know if I like it or not, because I'm I'm quite a, I, 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 the, the, the things that, that, that prick the senses sometimes make me quite uncomfortable and, 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 and body odor and all of that sort of thing. I'm very, very conscious of that sort of thing. So I'm not I'm not sure I like the joke. I don't like sort of jokes that have viscera and bodily fluids and smells and things uh in them and yet uh, it, it is quite a neat little gag it's quite a neat little gag so uh, and i and i appreciate and it was added by davison um because john nathan turner didn't always let him get away with the jokes he wanted to st- stick in and he got away with that one so i think i like it even though it's not to my taste i don't like it but I, I appreciate the fact that it's there for other people who do. And I appreciate that the leading actor brought that in. But I think mine's better with the handing the gun over because I'm a very serious person. And jokes about smells are silly. Um, right. Come and join me for episode three. Between episode two and episode three, I'm going to relax and put my feet up and, and check that bloody airlock. Oh, Martin Neal was not in uh, Secret Army. That niggled me. It's because Nitzasaur was in Kessler. He was in Freewheelers, though, with uh, with uh, with Wendy Padbury. Um, anyway, um, yes, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm still going to look at the airlock. Um, <laughs> I, I hope when I get back to you, I haven't got the bends. I think you'll find. I think you'll find. I think you'll find. I think you'll find. Well, I wasn't going to let this go, was I? And I haven't. Uh, So, uh, it was done as OB at the Royal Engineers Diving Establishment, McMullen Barracks, Marchwood, Hampshire, the Doctor in the Hydro Tank, the Doctor finding the escape route, and the Doctor in the service airlock, all from Episode 2, were done as an OB shoot on the 27th of the 6th. 1983 and in fact um the stuff in the cooling chamber and even uh, all the silurian stuff uh, was also done as an ob unit uh, at shepperton studios so rather than being filmed at ealing as as uh, as, as that stuff normally uh, would be done uh, that sort of stuff uh, was done at shepperton and on videotape which is why it doesn't have that sort of filmic look but yeah the bit that was really vexing me was uh, whether the hydro tank and uh, uh, all the underwater stuff with the doctor um, was was done separately, and it was. It had its own day, 27th to the 6th, 1983. Oh, and Trevor Steedman, who's the extra I noticed, who's private, it's Bowski from Aliens, 
Um, he is in that OB shoot, but he's also in the studio uh, for episodes one and three, so you can spot him there. I think you'll find. Well, I have found, and now you've found too, unless you'd already found, in which case you could have told me uh, that I think I should find, which I have. So, find off. Well, I don't know about you, but my base is feeling well and truly besieged. So, let's see if I can do anything about that as we open the sponge doors to Herald Inn, episode three of Warriors of the Deep in three, two, one, play. Not the smoothest entrance imaginable. Um, I'm sorry about that, but uh, uh, a not very effective entrance is probably an appropriate way to herald. Part three of Warriors of the Deep, which, apart from the Merca, I mean, as a, yeah, I mean, I don't. It's difficult to know what the actors could have done with that. And as I say, there's the, 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 this story as a whole, there are no sort of performances that make you go, oh, yeah, they're doing some really subtle characterization there. Everyone's playing a sort of different variation of stoical bass person, and then there's bad bass person and bad foreign bass person. Um, but, you know, I, I kind of like that. Um, you know, we don't have anybody crying because their daughter's at home or arguing because, uh, you know, there are a couple who are getting divorced or and, and one of them sacrifices himself to save the other. All of which I sort of like and go for, but, but I, I quite like the fact that these are all just very serious people doing their job. Um, and it's... Uh, it's you know it's a very sort of straightforward and unshowy uh, uh, sort of a, a approach to doing this sort of thing, which are which I'm not explained very well, but I just quite like. I like the like that Bulick the, the look that Bulick shoots Turlo there. This is terribly serious, and there's nothing I can do about it. You know. Um, But yeah, and of course the Merca famously is Dobbin from Rent-A-Ghost. Uh, again, those of you that are not 100 years old or from the United Kingdom, like what I is, um, Rent-A-Ghost was a funny children's programme about um, uh, some ghosts read by a sh- run by a shab- uh, represented by a shabby agency um, uh, uh, owned by the war chief. Um, uh, and uh, and they had a pantomime horse that was operated by John Asquith and William Perry. John Asquith is one of the dancers in Black Orchid. William Perry is uh, who, who only died a couple of years ago. He was a really interesting guy. He was a butterfly collector, but he's also one of the dim uh, caretakers in Paradise Towers. He's the one without the beard when the the Doctor does the out, outwitting them scene with the rule book. That's William Perry. And he's lovely. You could watch his entire performance. In, in fact, he will get the Paroli treatment when I come to do Paradise Towers for this, which nobody has nominated yet. In fact, there's a, currently an embargo on the McCoys because I will spread them out evenly, but a uh, lot of people are choosing the McCoys. Uh, just... Yeah, uh, he's he is a genuinely sort of psychotic kind of guy, Turlo, 
which is so refreshing. I think the idea of you know introducing somebody who's who who who, who rather than being a stowaway, somebody that wants to kill the doctor, I think is a is 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 a neat move. Well, uh, yes, I'm I'm not quite sure about to <laughs> Tegan and the doctor go. Yeah, we'll go. You can you can yeah you can you can hold uh, you you can, you can hold them off, Sergeant. Uh, so that's not parolee. Um, even though he did get a line, there's a few people who get a yes sir and a yes ma'am, uh, but Parody gets most of the lines, the ones that are more than the words yes sir and ma'am. Uh, he's got a whole bit about a disc in this episode that we've got to look forward to. It's, I mean, it's, it's almost like a monologue. Um, but. Uh, you know, this is this is this is a Saturday tea time stuff goes. This is sort of good, hard sci-fi. Um, in, I'm assuming that's a wig that Ingrid Pitt has on. Oh, yes. By the way, people who've been watching, following this chronologically, the airlock in episode two is a genuine airlock. I was correct. Still got it. Uh, now, one of these extras who's about to... One of the Seabase crew is played by Xiao Yong from Battlefield. There's a rather... There's a lady here who who, who does... Uh, none of these guys die particularly well. But there's, there's, a, there's, there's a lady who lowers herself to the ground. I, I mean, I, I wonder if in editing you might have gone... Should we... Should we not have that bit where the extras don't die very well? But one of them is um, one of the sea base. I couldn't quite make out if she was one of those four because I think there are five. It might be just before. Is is Xiao Young from Battlefield when she was a supporting artiste rather than a featured actress? Uh, now I yeah, it's it's interesting how the 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 light now dictates who speaks uh, i love the silurian voices in doctor who and the silurians i love the silurian designs in doctor who and the silurians i think the turtle sort of shell carapace thing going on there is a is a logical extension of the silurian design i i kind of buy it um uh, the, the electronic voices maybe suggest that they've got a bit of sort of maybe that shell thing is some sort of augmentation a bit like you know, are the ice warriors, where does the arm begin and the, the the armor end and the skin begin? Um, but I I I really did like Peter Holiday's. Uh, we are the Silurians. I I really like those voices because they're so. That's Paroli is at the end of that orange microphone. Paroli is radioing in to Vorshak. He's he's the one that's running around the whole thing. Going, I'll, sorry, I'll I'll tell I'll tell the commander what's going on. He's, he's like he's like he's the relay guy, um, but I th I think the Silurian designs are decent, uh, but they they are quite cumbersome. They 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 do all seem to move. So, so I I like I love the way that um, Tom Adams does this scene because that that kind of I want your help when I ask for it and like, oh have you shot I like I like the sort of suppressed anger that he's got and if kill him if he gives me any trouble and he's <laughs> and he said he said last episode didn't he if he gives any trouble kill him and i i buy it that and he's not being he's not sort of sadistic base commander he's not base commander on the edge he's just i've got a job to do and it's a tough job and i haven't got time to mess around uh and tom adams is the perfect actor for that um now 
I mean, I think these days these sea devils would be done for cultural appropriation because uh, these, these, uh, there's something sort of, and I think it was even said at the time, you know, they are, they are inspired by samurais because um, uh, the, 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 they're very close, aren't they? This, I th and I think this is where, this is where perhaps Pennant Roberts' reputation uh, as a director perhaps perhaps comes from. Is that there's not, it's, um, the, the, I'm sure that was envisaged as a sort of, you know, throw some barrels down, everybody get behind cover and it's pew, pew, blah, 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 instead of sort of stand literally three feet away from each other. <laughs> One casualty uh, and some very lopsided sea devils sort of, uh, uh, slowly walking towards the heroes who very slowly back out. Um, I, I, and I can imagine if I'd written that scene, oh, he's he's got gaffer tape. That This this sea devil who's the close-up on his bottom that we have, his costume has been gaffer taped. I, I, I assume that's um, sea plankton that has been used as a... Uh, as, as a, 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 a field dressing yes that's what it is uh, so Turlo's had that wah 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 music for I told you so and now he's got the wah 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 as in uh, now you've got to hold the bulkhead um, now that's Paroli's voice but I don't think it was Paroli calling in I haven't been paying full attention you can have hours of fun pairing up whether the voice of Paroli we've got is actually being said by Paroli or by some fake Paroli, some Paroli uh, intruder. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I check unit. Yes, all right. Um, uh, oh, you could. He gave Tolo gave a look there. He could have had another. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> um, it, it, it's almost like Tolo's reposts uh, are given a musical refrain that that could uh, then herald the beginning of um, there's the gaffer tape um, of uh, Grain Chill um, but you know this is tense this is tense stuff I, I, it's a shame about that battle scene I, 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 I think you know given all day there's James Coombs uh, given all day uh you know, loads of cameras. You could make that really work, but uh, you know, in continuous shooting in a in a you know multi-camera, uh, it's it's a bit beyond Pennant Roberts. I, I, I suspect some other directors c could have done could have done better, but um, but but I you know because I, 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 I because of course whilst the Sea Devils are are attacking these these two bad guys are free to uh, sort of put their plan into operation. Poor old Karina has been, has, has, has been wiped out. Oh, yeah, Tegan's hurt her leg, hasn't she? Because she got landed on by the sponge door. Um, but, but, you know, as I was, I was 10, so I'd not had a chance to see the, the Silurians in the Sea Devils. I, I, I remember wondering why the, the, the third eye that I, I must have read about in, uh, in, in the book of Doctor Who and the Cave Monsters, which, you know, in, in, 
in in their original story, the third eye for the Silurians is like a Swiss army eye. It opens doors, it kills people, uh, it does all sorts of things. And and that sort of idea that it's a sort of organic psychic force, I mean, it's, as I say it out loud, actually the third eye being able to open doors and kill people is actually just as silly as an idea as it, it flashing when to, to indicate which one's speaking for the viewers at home. But I, I, I think I prefer the third eye from Doctor and the Silurians just because it um, uh, it seems to be, it behaves a bit more like an eye because eyes can open doors rather than flash when you speak. As I say it, I'm not convincing myself, but I prefer the, the original third eye. And that might just be because when I was 10, old was good, pre new was a disappointment. And I've tried to grow out of that. And it's a continuing struggle as a Doctor Who fan, uh, uh, which is why I probably like this more now than I did at the time, because old is good. Uh, <laughs> and it's weird, some of my favourite stories are from New Who, but it, 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 I think it took me ages to admit that, uh, that, 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 that a, a, an adventure from the new series could, could ever overtake anything from my childhood. Uh, and this is one of the great... I mentioned this in Moth's Sake by Doctor Who Scarf. Uh, my one-man show had a bit about this. And, and Tara Ward came to see it at the West End. And I'd forgotten and I did this bit and she booed it. I said it's about the Ingrid Pitt karate kicking a lopsided sea monster. And she went, oh, I think she was quite chuffed that I'd mentioned Warriors of the Deep. <laughs> and yeah, she and Ray came to see the show. Uh, and they know Vincent Brimble as well. Uh, ah, right, this is where Paroli really gets his, I mean, his moment to shine. 43Y, yes, that's that's something to do with the disc, but it means that he gets, I mean, you, yeah, I, that's the, we don't actually know what that means, but we, we, we just know it means that she's been up to no good. I think perhaps that could have been clearer in the storytelling, but, um, but it's fine. It gives Paroli a line. I am happy. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's one of the great, I know I'm supposed to be accentuating the positive and I'm and it's not to be a kind of arch. Uh -huh -huh. Yeah, it's so good because it's bad because I didn't love Doctor Who because it was bad. I loved Doctor Who because it was great and it thrilled me. But even as a 10 year old young pup, um, Ingrid Pitt karate kicking a lopsided sea monster was was not a moment that that thrilled me. But now, yes, Paroli, give it all you've got to kill Dr. Solow. That, um, I mean, that was two sentences. Uh, uh, all right. And have some chocolate and give give a lady some chocolates on the way. Uh, yes. Again, for, for listeners of a certain age and from from different climes, the milk tray man was an advert. He was a black polo necked clad um, diver off of cliffs and, and, and swimmer under sea to, uh, to deliver to a mysterious lady uh, a box of... Ch I remember thinking when that was on, that that, 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 that laser had hit Turlo and nobody had reacted. It, it sort of, it's supposed to suggest that it hits the panel behind him, but the, the depth of field is not, is, is not, is not suggested by where the, the lasers hit. Um, yeah, the, the, the milk tray man, uh, yes, goes to great lengths and um, shows great athleticism and he's a bit of a sort of James Bondy type of guy to deliver some 
very cheap and simple. I mean, if you go to that effort, you'd at least get Hotel du Chocolat or even uh, an assorted an assorted box of lint. Uh, but uh, <laughs> no milk tray with its fudge and its uh, strawberries. They, but they were, oh, I mean, they were, when I was a kid, they were as sophisticated as you got, you know. We were, and we were happy with an orange cream and a coffee cream was for dodgy people. But every, everything else, uh, uh, fudge and a coconut and an orange cream, it was, uh, that was the whole gamut of flavours. Uh, now this is, you can see the iktar here is, uh, is untucked. I think all the Silurians are untucked here. Uh, yeah, look at that. But, and, 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 and I mean, the camera's on it. It's extraordinary. You can see <laughs> that's. Uh, I have to. I don't think I noticed at the time. They have to walk very slowly. It's the forty-three Y disc. It's now. That's what I call treachery. Forty-three Y. <laughs> um, I like Ian McCulloch, and I, I. I didn't really know who he was. Oh, no, he's in an episode of Bergerac. Um, I think after this. I certainly saw a piece of it. Down down the line, where he's a. Uh, He's, he's an Australian diver. Um, Bernard Archard's in that episode of Bergerac as well. And Gilbert Wynne from the Crotons. And Nicholas Chagrin from Vengeance on Varus. Anyway, uh, but he's he's great at villainy. But of course, he was he was known for being a, a, a Terry Nation hero. He was, uh, he was in Survivors, which I had not seen at this point. And he's fantastic as Greg Preston, the, uh, the pragmatic, terse, gutsy... Uh, you know, very realistic um, man, you know, fighting the apocalypse with a double barrel shotgun and an Aaron jumper and a, and a terse look. Um, uh, but I, I didn't, I, you know, I didn't know him from that at the time and he's got, but he's got, he does, he's, he's got a very sort of good, harsh voice. Um, uh, and and I, I got really into Survivors when I when I saw it about ten years after this, uh, and collected it on video. And and he's great as Greg Preston. I love the way the Merca dies. What uh, William Perry, who is front end of Merca, uh, does with his hands there shows because they didn't have much time to rehearse with this at all. Shows what perhaps they could have done with a bit more time and a, and, and a finished prop. Because uh, I think that little sort of hand thing he does in in death. Is, is is really effective, really works. It's a neat touch and it puts a lie to the fact that the, the Merca is an utter disaster. Um, the Merca's been destroyed. Oh, yes, and Skibus, who's the other... So Skibus, who's the second companion, the second salary, is uh, Stuart Blake, who's just been in Doctor Who because he's in The Five Doctors and he's the... Uh, He's the, the the commander who shoots the Castellan. He goes, he was armed and trying to escape. So he must have been popular around that time. Two stories in a row. Not many people have done two stories in a row as guest actors. That's the odd one. Karina's been murdered off screen and I found her in a cupboard so we don't have to pay her for the episode, which uh, shows uh, excellent use of resources. Uh, actors get paid so little nowadays you could probably have her in it and nobody would notice. They'd probably forget to pay you anyway. But uh, in those days, they at least went. No, we'll we'll write you out. We'll write you out cleverly. We'll we'll contrive a way where we can make your death have impact, but not show it practically, um, in order to make the books, in order to, in order to make fiscal sense. Um, 
I trusted you, Nielsen. I, I, I do like... <laughs> I do sometimes walk around the house pretending to be Tom Adams. I, I, I think that kind of solid acting has gone out of fashion. And I'm, I'm, I'm not sure it shouldn't come back in, you know, in certain roles. Uh, I love the doctor's uh, dismissiveness of, of our, our petty feuds is a good word. You know, the doctor has travelled the whole of time and space, our sort of little grabs for power and land and nationalism are so beneath this guy who's seen everything the universe has to offer. And the doctor's contemptuous of it, even the incorrectly subricade wet vet it, 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 as i say it gives a lie to that well done maddox maddox is gonna have a go yeah and i like the i like the the the, the laser the laser pistols as well i think they're they're a good design they're not sometimes laser pistols can be a bit chunky and a bit silly looking i think these are a really good design i must that must be matt irvin he's probably made it out of an airfix airplane um uh uh she dies I like I like the way he he pulls her up there. Um, I don't know why he hit the doctor with his elbow and twat him, but there we go. Um, but uh, now I think Paroli goes through a door and gets killed here. Yeah, I think this is the end of Paroli. Oh, Paroli! Uh, he could have at least gone, mother. Um, they have been contracted for episode four. Keep them alive. What about Paroli? Ah, there were two. There were loads of him anyway. At least four. <laughs> There's probably another one somewhere. <coughs> Paroli is not in episode four, so that's the end of him, sadly. Uh, oh, but hang on, that was Paroli just saying that. Where, where are Tolo and the dead or captured? But I'll say, I'll say dead because then that, that's a bit more dramatic. So we just saw Paroli die, and then so there is another Paroli somewhere on the base. There is a lone parolee um, unnecessarily suggesting that somebody is dead before then counteracting that with a what I don't know for sure or captured. Um, so I have hope that the fifth saving private parolee, the fifth parolee brother is out there somewhere. Tom Hanks has been dispatched to go and rescue him and say, and next time you radio in, say, we're not sure they've there's a possibility they're dead but they could have been captured don't say dead <laughs> soft sell it keep morale up uh and also your brothers are all dead come and hide with me um be still that's a that's a very eric saywood line isn't it be still woman you know most people would say stop moving yes i will say be still are you sure? Oh, you must think me a fool. Oh, look, you can see green paint on his sleeve because the murk is still wet. Uh, but it is from the sea. It's slime. It's not paint. It's slime. Um, but yeah, and I, 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 I bought Nielsen as a villain. He was, he was totally villainous for me. Um, and there's something about having your hair slicked back as well. Baddies do that. Yeah, no, nobody else, I think, has, has the slicked back hair. So that was a clue. Lovely piece of music here. Um, <laughs> terrible shots, aren't they? The, they have to get really close, and they shoot once. I mean, he's got an excuse. He's been blinded. Uh, but, um, I mean, you get that close, you might as well. Your turn. Um, I, I like the fact that the Sea Devil voices are the original Sea Devil voices. 
because they are effective that sort of lizard like thing even though they're they're sea creatures but that that that, uh, that works for me and it's it's a it's a it's a unique voice in doctor because we've had many whispering monsters but, but uh, that kind of whisper is i like that i like that um paroli that's the last time paroli i suit you paroli um oh so vincent only gets bottom billing i think in the next episode because uh, Salvix moves up a bit. Oh, Salvix is played by Christopher Farries, whose who's nephew, David, was at university a couple of years below me. So he went, oh, yeah, my uncle was in Doctor Who. I went, Farries, is it Christopher Farries? He went, how do you know that? <laughs> so, yeah, I keep, I'm presuming uh, I live next door to Karina and Bulick, who are married. Uh, <laughs> because this story keep, seems to keep... Uh, uh, I seem to keep bumping into people who've got some weird connection with it. Uh, so what did... I'll pause. It's actually there. Um, I, 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 <laughs> it doesn't matter for the for the listener. I've, I've put the, the DVD player somewhere much more convenient uh, to press pause so I don't lag into the next episode. Um, and I'm pointing to everywhere <laughs> that it isn't. Um, anyway... What is my favourite thing about episode three? Um, it's difficult. I like I like all the Bates under siege stuff. Um, I like the sort of yeah, that's the stoical fifties B movie kind of acting, but but there is a sort of there is a sort of insult thrown in there, and I don't—I don't mean that to be, but it is—but it is, you know, it—it—it it, it, it is slightly criticising the acting and yet saying it's sort of appropriate for the piece, which is odd, and I don't quite know how it works. But uh, well, no, I can enjoy the acting in some fifties stuff, but acknowledge that, you know, you wouldn't get away with acting like that today. Um, what is my favourite thing about episode three of? Warriors of the Deep, and I can't say Paroli because <laughs> that would be very, very bad indeed. I think I I can't say the karate. Can I? Can I say the no? Because that's celebrating something that's that's objectively not very good. Uh, I think I will give the nod to Martin Neal. As Maddox, who I think played a very difficult part very well. He could have been really whingy and unlikable. Uh, and, and yet he always had that sort of layer of resentment underneath. You know, the manipulation was not easy and it took its toll. Uh, and I totally bought all of that. I totally bought that he'd been through a sort of mental kickback from that 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 took its toll and, and eventually he had that moment where he you know finally at the end went i'm gonna you know i'm gonna kill you next time so just just do it um so that with a side order of there's still a parolee out there still alive um but yeah Mar martin neil and, and and what he does with maddox is my thing for episode three what's johnny morris's my best thing about episode three is Nilsson's incredibly small gun. It's so dinky. My best thing about episode 
Oh, that's it. Well, I did. I did comment on the guns. I like. I think that's a. It's a very effective gun because um, I'm sure it'll happen when I get to Kinder. Kinder is one of the greatest Doctor Who stories of all time. But um, Simon Rouse has a giant Hoover of a laser gun, and it, and it and it and it serves to slightly undermine one of the best episode endings in the show's history. And you go, I'd love to show that to somebody if I could stand in front of the gun, the vacuum cleaner gun. Anyway, and I I think I know and Matt Irvin legend who i'm sure is responsible um but i chose martin neal who was wielding the gun um okay um I, johnny and i were in accord there um but um i i didn't I, in the end didn't go for that thing even though i'd highlighted it um but that's okay we're thinking along the same lines i'm very much enjoying warriors of the deep I'm, i wish i'd shut up and i could just sit and uh sit and watch it but that's not what this is for um so uh episode four it's your turn next well welcome back we've got to bring warriors of the deep to a conclusion and i'm afraid there's no other way but to press play in three two one uh-huh. I'm eating a nut it's late I need a bit of sustenance welcome uh, I hope you're well some of you are watching this some of you are listening if you're a listener and you don't know about the watch uh, these episodes are all available on YouTube so if you uh, want to delve behind the scenes and see what the colour of the sofa I'm sitting on is and whether I'm wearing any trousers. Uh, actually, you, you you can't even tell in the video if I'm wearing any trousers. Of course I'm not! Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm wearing trousers. You were a fool to be in the recap, Nielsen, because you won't get a credit on this episode because it all counts as last week's. Even though you're in this as a corpse, I'd have had a word with my agent and gone, strictly speaking... That's an appearance, uh, but he's not credited on this episode. My, I remember my housemate saying they didn't understand why he didn't cover his eyes properly, but I think that's the camera getting underneath and showing that he's been blinded. I think they were being a bit... I was with drama students. They tend to... It shocked me how much drama students look for faults in things as a kid, uh, as, a, as a teenager, as a student. Um, was I always sort of went into things on on the side of the program makers. I wasn't there to put them to the test or challenge them or find flaws in what they were doing because it's what I wanted to be doing. But I, so I, I was sort of deferent to the people that were doing it because they were they were where I aspired to be. Uh, I remember it being quite an eye opener. Well, my contemporaries thought most of what we saw was rubbish. <laughs> they could do better. Um, Perhaps that's always held me back. My respect for other people. <laughs> no, I've done okay. Uh, and and uh, a lot of my contemporaries are doing other things. And a lot have done very, very well. So, And I, I don't think any of those things are dictated by our respective attitudes towards 1984 television. <laughs> so no parallel should be brought, drawn. Vincent Brimble as Tarpok. Uh, I've mentioned a lot. But he was an actor that I liked because he was Mr. Glover in Grange Hill, who was a bit mean. 
He wasn't a teacher, he was a governor. Uh, uh, Georgia Glover's dad. Uh, and I'd seen him a few other things, and I'd been surprised then to discover... I'd seen him in a Doctor Who, but of course, because you can't see him. And he was an actor that was in a lot at that time. Um, and I think he was, as I say, it was a bit last minute, and he was doing somebody a favour. Because um, he's not really a an actor that you would stick under latex and he's had a great career since rsc he's done loads and loads of telly still working to this day i think he's been in contention for a couple of things in 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 newer who as well which would be lovely to see because he's a he's a very handsome fellow he's a very nice guy and he's a good actor keeps still working uh, as is his wife janet spencer turner who's a is a lovely actress uh, and their daughter charlotte brimble is an actor uh, and nick brimble vincent's brother was little john in robin hood prince of thieves and his twin brother ian was also an actor but he's retired now so they're quite a family uh and as i say he's a lovely lovely man with a very a attractive manner to him and a, and a good actor um done loads of adverts because he's got sort of good he's, he must be he must be 70 now vincent but uh no nice actor oh and i went to see louise jameson in hamlet uh, and and drop in on her because she was doing Hamlet not far from where my mum lives. And Vincent was playing the ghost in that, so it's a funny old. It's a funny old world. Whereas Norman Comer, who plays Icter, Icter is a massive part, and he'd been an, a regular in one of the police series, Softy Softy maybe, um, and he's still around, but he's never. He's never done an interview. I don't think he's ever answered a, a letter bar, maybe signing a picture. So maybe he doesn't think Iktar is his finest hour. I have a picture of him. I know what he looks like. Um, but it's great. I actually think he's really good as Iktar. It's a decent part. He's a, you know, a chatty, chatty monsters don't always work. Um, they work best when they're sort of links or, or ones where you can get a sort of performance and a facial expression. And, and, and poor old Iktar is, you know, you don't get any eye or mouth movement much really not like the john friedlander half masks oh they will die in a sea of their own blood i remember gary russell saying says iktar cheerfully or something in, in his review um and i think he said uh i think he I, I seem to recall reading later that he'd said you know we had to be positive and i said there's you know there's no way that Warriors of the Deep will ever be considered a classic. Uh, and they edited that down to say, Warriors of the Deep is a classic. Because uh, the, the review was slightly sarky about it, I recall. I remember him saying how cheerful it was when he said, Iktar said they'll die in a sea of their own blood. But yeah, he's, he's behind the latex and his voice has been treated. But he carries quite a lot of the dialogue, Iktar. And it's a, it's, it's a decent role. And I think... I, I think he does a decent job, all things considered. You'll get no help from me, Silurian. I love that. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's, you know, if you've got somebody saying that, you want it to be Tom Adams doing it. I, I like Tom, Tom Adams' is present. Uh, and, and Davidson is great. Um, And of course, there was a question as to you know whether for, for me, even though I'd you know I'd read the Cave Monsters, I hadn't seen the Silurians, and it's very different. But you know, for for me, the fact that there were he referred to 
Iktar as the last of the Silurian triad. I was basically, yeah, that's the that's the scientist from the Silurians. If you if you examine it too closely, it doesn't tie in at all. And I know there's been attempts now to 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 have other adventures, you, you know, that that breach that gap. But it's clearly the intention is to tie Iktar in with the adventure before and 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 and, and with not all information being available as a as a fan at the time, as a young fan, that was enough for me to go, yeah, okay, that's cool. That you know, you've yeah, you've mentioned the Silurian triad. That's that's basically the three from from the Silurians. Um, uh, the 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 music is quite cheeky in this, isn't it? It's it gives it a lot of kind of oh dear, what's going on here? <laughs> it's sort of asides, sort of cheeky asides from the music. It's like uh, sort of noises off, sort of stage whispers. <laughs> what's going on here? Um, and uh, you know the the re I think the reason that the Silurians and Sea Devils are creatures worth always bringing back is because they they put us in our place in the sense that to 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 them we are vermin, and I think that's a really interesting driver for a story because you know we're used to go no people invading our planet we've got every right to defend ourselves and then suddenly we're in the position where the people doing that have a greater call to that that defense than we do and that's such a brilliant idea um that the, the heart of that where you know we're not even the invaders because this is our planet in inverted commas there's another bit of a wobble there um um and I'm always one to say the sets don't wobble that much in Doctor Who. No, they don't, actually, any more than any other programme. Lazy journalism. Um, yeah, no, it really is. But I think I've said that before. Uh, uh, avail yourself of a show called Moth's Ape by Doctor Who Scarf, uh, which is still available in bargain bins everywhere. Um, uh, but, no, that, that, central, that central idea that, um, uh, you know, Again, I, could, I sort of, you know, if, we, if if we're on the planet Uxarius or something, we're we're colonising that. So, you know, us us being being invaders is is a you know is a is it's still a moral dilemma in a way, but it's a bit more cut and dried. Um, whereas whereas this is not cut and dried because we haven't invaded anywhere here, and yet we have basically built our civilization on the ruins of another one and they just woke up um i, I yes Bu yeah bulet gets a bulet gets to be quite heroic in this oh yeah the doctor just walks out doesn't he <laughs> uh, i forgot about that big old set um but yes i remember i remember the, the 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 review in doc 2 magazine seemed to slightly take the mickey out of this um this this story as a whole um and the sea devil they because they didn't like the sea devil string vests so they went for this samurai thing which you know when and when they do that with the draconians in frontier in space it it, it works but, but, but partially because they're a they're a species that get a performance um and have different characters apart from Salvix, the sea devils in this are sort of grunts and that was what johnny byrne 
wanted. He, he sort of saw them as sort of foot soldiers with the Silurians being the sort of mouthpiece. But um, I think I prefer the string vest. I think it's a better showcase for the mask. I think the mask looks better. The head looks better. Not with the hat on. Um, a couple of dead parolees there. No, it's not. <laughs> uh, although they are... They are decent costumes. They did, and the black colour scheme is good. Um, that's a great shot. I like that. The, 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 the heads of the, the, the heads of the departing soldiers and and uh, Iktar in the the background as they all as he sends them off to kill the doctor. That's a really nice shot, actually. Um, um, so yeah, I was, I was having having sort of said I'm not I'm not sure about the samurai thing. I actually think they're decently decently done. As a, as a as a concept oh and this of course yes the, so the sync up and that's a great idea the idea that yes you can't uh you know you can't initiate uh, a nuclear war without a specially trained person and without you know the brain syncing in with the computer um which for years we were told we, actually for years we were told this is this is a complete ref off of the space 1999 episode but it's not really um but but that that idea is is quite good the sort of element of human control of the ultimate uh nuclear thing that was that loomed so large in 1984 which was a year not named after anything particularly cheerful uh, what times we lived in um of the silurians got to, i just noticed they've got sort of two fingers and they've got like a sort of double finger uh, this is great, this stuff, uh, because, okay, so we've introduced the hexachroma and all us young dudes have gone, oh, that's, that's a terrible plot thing. But actually, no, because the plot is, the moral dilemma is, we've had the means to defeat them all this time. Can we choose a better means? Uh, uh, and of course we're going to get, uh, we're gonna. Oh dear, we're gonna we're gonna have a sea devil killed by the hexachromite, which means I don't think it's this one that gets the green goo, is it? I think it's when Sarvix dies he gets the green goo, um, which I think the green goo. Oh no, it's the green goo is there. Uh, there's a sort of money shot. Uh, <laughs> that's the green goo shot. I'm sure there's a pteroleptil that green goos. The malice is sick green goo. I'm sure I've done another green goo as as part of this. So I'm just trying to think of what stories I've watched. Um, oh, Khalid, he gets a bit of green goo that nearly kills somebody, the person underneath it. And this is, see, this is why we spotted the hexachromat. So that uh, Lieutenant Preston... Our award can can go quite reasonably as far as she's concerned. <laughs> They've killed loads of my mates. They're going to launch the nuclear codes. We've got a reason. We've got a way to kill them. Kill them like this. Uh, and it's the it's the dilemma at the heart of Doctor Who. You've got a, you know, you've got a. We, we think of the Doctor as a man of peace and learning. Uh, so when does he decide? Actually, that that to to. to, to to preserve that i have to kill but then of course all tyrants have have used well i'm preserving what's good at the cost of all these lives but it's worth it because 
of what's good. It depends what you decide is worth it, isn't it? Uh, and that depends what side you're on. Whoa. Um, um, I do miss, th I do, uh, and in the modern Silurians, I mean, I, I, I know they've gone for performance and, uh, I, you know, that's, uh, that's laudable. And I mean, in that story, you've got uh, the, uh, the, the Hungry Earth, um, you've got Neve McIntosh and Stephen Moore and Richard Hope. You've got three very good actors. You don't want to stick them behind puckered Siluri gobs. But uh, I, 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 I do miss the fact that they look like monsters rather than, um, you know, human beings. The, the, you know, the human being mouth, nose and eyes thing um and i think the third eye yeah the third because the third eye and the and the point of view in doctor of the silurians is a terrific and again weird thing and they they've got a funny sort of they're a bit more sort of feral uh they've got a funny sort of gait and that guttural voice um yeah tom adams is stoically going through this uh he was a big cricket fan tom adams in fact i think he had an mcc tie on uh, I got the impression, did I see him smoke a cigar? But I, I don't know, but I got the impression he was a cigar smoker. Uh, had a long brown coat. Um, but yeah, he was a, he was a big cricket man. Yeah, look, they've only got, they've got a thumb, two fingers, and then two fingers sort of stuck together. And very stubby fingers. Um, of course, yes, because today you'd probably, you know, go for a bit of choreography with monsters and stuff. But in those days, you know, the, 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 they're encased in latex. They must have been absolutely drenched under studio lights. Oh, many a fine actor has suffered for, for the sake of Doctor Who. Uh, and so this is Salvix, Christopher Farries, uh, who was supposed to be playing the megaphone man in uh, Snake Dance and ended up not doing so. So again, it's interesting how some so many of these actors are sort of miss out on a part, like Robert Ashby, the Borad, who that you know misses, does the BBC Shakespeare instead of this, and then does the Borad a bit later. Christopher Farries miss, misses out in Snake Dance, comes back to this a bit later. Different, totally different director, you know. But you know, shows if people people are around, um, if you're in, if you're in, if you're in their thoughts. Um, Oh, go for it, Preston! No! Oh, they killed Preston, you swines! And Bulick comes to the rescue because Bulick's a hero. Um, Ingrid Pitt was considered for Preston, um, and it's actually no, no uh, smaller apart than Solaire, really. And she'd have probably still got, you know, she'd have still been considered a guest star because uh, all the parts are fairly. Uh, decent sized in this um preston would have just been slightly more estonian or i guess was she estonian whatever uh wherever uh ingrid pitt was from um now this and this story was also one of the last is toby's favorite morbid thing the last to have no deceased cast members can't remember what order it was but there was this there was frontios there was i could if i put my mind to it Dragonfire, and city of death i think were the last 
uh, to have to have no deceased cast members. But then Ingrid Pitt died, and and Tom Adams died. Um, but other than that, then clench your fist. I remember my friends laughing at that. That that he was saying, "I'm not going to be responsible, but I'll, I'll I'll hold my hand out." Um, but I think that's because you see the sea devil then grab his hand and make him do it. I think this, the sea devils aren't dexterous enough. Their fingers aren't nimble enough to, to force him to do it. So the actor had to sort of make a compromise. So, And, and I, I nonetheless admire uh, Tom Adams' stoicism throughout this episode. Um, so what was I talking about? Can't remember. Um, and of course, yes, it becomes a, this becomes a sort of bloodbath. Um, every everybody dies, um, which which again make make makes this pretty grim stuff. But this is what I wanted as a kid. I wanted, um, you know, seeing as we've had, you know, I I love Four to Doomsday now. I love Black Orchid. I love I love Kinder. But but the, I I found them all a bit sort of perplexing and quite slow as a. As, as a kid whereas the ones like this where people died and there was action and there were monsters uh uh this was great stuff um although this is quite this is quite confusing uh, poor old um tom adams manages to get a, a a death scene that is quite the most indistinct death scene i think in the whole of the bar maybe jacqueline hill uh jacqueline hill in megloss whose, whose death scene is 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 a catalogue of woes uh, in terms of how necessary it isn't uh, and how well realized it it isn't um but because tom adams has been so sort of chiseled throughout the whole thing the fact that he barely reacts to something we don't really see uh, 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 is isn't helped by the fact that he's had the same expression sort of throughout um I wish i could remember what i was talking about it's quite late now. I'm talking to you at 24 minutes past one, because you see, I do this when, when everyone in the house has gone to bed. Um, and, and and of course, it's great. Yeah, it's this. This is where the doctor steps into the breach and, uh, and has to be heroic. And you know, Davison really, really makes us go through this we you really get the impression that the doctor uh, uh, has, you know has really suffered um so yeah you've gone to you've gone to uh, tegan has gone to help uh, uh, skibus or tarpok uh which has left iktar free but it's not particularly clear we've seen him sort of recover a bit but then then turlo has to be post dubbed in adr to go look out commander which hasn't i don't think that's happened yet yeah look, so it, oh no no yeah so gosh they're 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 both on iktar and he's got a gun in his hand uh god they were wrestling him for a while there and yeah turlo has had to add Look out, Commander in ADR, and then he decides to shoot Iktar, and Iktar gets a, it's his heart blown out, which is quite grim, uh, but it, it does mean that 
it's not very clear because there was nowhere in the shot that you could put the laser gun. Uh, and as I say, Tom, Tom Adams looks vaguely like he's got indigestion. Um, and and now, now he dies, but as I say, his reaction was pretty much how he'd reacted to everything else. And yet I still... I still feel it. I'm because because I, I I love the way that Mark Strickson delivers that line. I think Gary Russell was said said something about how cheerfully he says that in in the review. Um, and yet, even though I think it's slightly flubbed, I I sort of like Vorschach's death. Um, and that shot's great. And Peter Davison, I mean, that makeup is superb, and his delivery of this line is fantastic i mean it's you know it's fairly straightforward stuff of our oh, war is hell and all of that sort of thing but in doctor who terms i think that's brilliantly brilliantly done it's a great way to end the story no time for a sort of funny thing back to the tardis or whatever everybody apart from bulik is dead bulik's gonna have some explaining to do um and uh and yes the poor old not even the poor old commander uh was able to see it through because of of a of a slightly flubbed uh, shooting that 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 uh, Turlo had to make sense of in post production. Um, salute Matt Irvin, what a hero! And Dave Chapman, both of those guys actually were names to conjure if you are watching Doctor Who in the eighties. Um, I think I think that's an absolutely perfectly enjoyable Doctor Who story with a few notorious errors or shortcomings some of which were dictated by you know a quick reshuffle in timing and studio and the unavailability of of the main visual effects designer so I think there are Doctor Who stories that have committed greater crimes uh, and i even even if I can't necessarily justify my reasons for liking it, I still do. Do you know what I mean? It's it's you know guilty pleasure, I suppose, in a if you like. But oh, I'm entertained by a piece of entertainment. It's done its job, surely. It's done its job, and I'm and I'm not looking at it loftily or askance. I'm I'm perfectly happy. To spend four episodes in the company of the crew of Sea Base Four. So, uh, well, my favourite—I uh, love. There should have been another way. Uh, so I think that's got to be my favourite thing for episode four, or my bonus thing, one or the other. Uh, I've got to choose one more thing. Um, uh, well, I think. I th I th I think the 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 nuclear thing and the sync operator and the, the the premise of the the two power blocks i think that was you know very important at the time it very very resonant at the time and i think you know it's got a science fiction twist with the with the with the sync operator having to be hooked up that that gives it something that's not just you know uh, uh, a lazy reflection of the times as it were and it gives the story a drive and it helped and it gives the plot something to hook on and it gives gives something for some of the characters to to have 
So yeah, the, the nuclear face-off thing with the sync operator element and there should have been another way are my two favourite things from episode 4 of Warriors of the Deep or one from episode 4 and one bonus. What is Johnny Morris going to wow us with for his? He's been quite uh, brief, hasn't he? And my best thing about episode 4 is Tom Adams his performance as Commander Vorschach, um, where he, I mean, he could have been James Bond. He, he nearly, he did play a sort of James Bond in the 1970s, as well as being the voice and face of um, DFS um, carpets. So, uh, yeah, Tom Adams. And then I'm allowed uh, my bonus thing. My bonus thing is that the premise of the story with this um this underground undersea base where you don't know which sides are it is um doing run-throughs for a nuclear war in the future is rather similar to the out of the unknown play level seven as produced by irene schubick and i'm i'm convinced that toby will not be able to resist the temptation of uh, mentioning mentioning something to do with irene schubick or Rudolf Cartier, because it's direct back. My, my chance to plug my wares. I have. Johnny always takes the Mickey out of my Who's Round podcast because I always mention that uh, if ever if anyone's ever worked with Rudolf Cartier. So I thought he was going to say Toby won't resist the fact that it's directed by Rudolf Cartier, who directed Quatermass, because Johnny mocks me about that. Um, and I nearly chose Tom Adams, but I thought I might be doing so archly. Uh but I'm happy for him to be chosen. Love a bit of Tom Adams. And yeah, he was. And he was considered for James Bond. Um, Johnny's going to plug his wares. Okay. Um, that's all I have. My, my chance to plug my wares. I have um, lots of Doctor Who stuff coming up. I have uh, um, Genetics of the Daleks might have come out by now. Uh, I have Ghosts with David Tennant and River Song. I have... River Song, Queen of the Mechanoids, uh, the Fourth Doctor and Leela in um, Day of the Comet. Uh, I have the Blogs of Doom in Doctor Who magazine. Get that every every month. And um, I have the Monster Vault. So get all that. Um, and who knows, by the time this is um, this is played out, I'll probably have written another 20 Big Finish audios, two books, and a load of magazine articles. So uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. And uh, cheers. Oh, thanks, Johnny. He's a very witty man. He's got a very smart and underplayed sense of humour but uh, that, that, that shoots through all of his writing. And he's a very, very humble and very nice. Bizarrely, the recording cut out there. It had worked throughout the entire thing. And then when I tried to call Johnny Morris a nice man, the microphone flatly refused to accept that information. But he is. He's a very nice man. And so I'm saying it again for the record. And it also gives me a chance to mention Dick Dixon in the 21st century, which is written by Johnny and produced by him too. He got me to direct it. Uh, I'm a guest star in the first episode. The series regulars include Kieran Hodgson. Oh, brilliant, talented, funny Kieran Hodgson. Uh, Terry Malloy, uh, a.k.a. Davros, and loads of voices for Big Finish. Uh, Suze Kempner, who's a multi-talented uh, vocal performer. Jez Fielder from uh, various Big Finishes. Dan Starkey, Strax himself, and another absolutely brilliant vocal performer. The comedian Alison June Smith. Uh, rounds out the cast 
of uh, this spoof of Dan Dare, Buck Rogers and any other science fiction show you'd care to mention. Just Google Dick Dixon in the 21st century and there's a lot of fun to be had there. We've done a Kickstarter that's been successful so more episodes will be produced but the pilot is out there now waiting to be found. So it's not a pilot of the future, it's a pilot of the right now. Well, my extra special thanks to you for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydock. My special guest this time around was Johnny Morris. He can be found on Twitter at Johnny Morris, no H, so J-O-N-N-Y, at Johnny Morris 1973. And his production company, Average Rump, who produce Dick Dixon and other audio goodies, can be found at Average Rump. Do check them out and support them. And uh, there's more than a pilot out there now. There'll be trailers for episodes two and three at the end of this programme. This programme only exists because of patrons who include Paul Carnahan, Andy Case, John Curley, Mark Dakin, John Ellidge, Gary Gillett, James Gould, Lisa C. Greco, David Green, Dave Hoskin and Jessica Jones. The music is by Dave Gates and the podcast artwork by Dylan Patterson. Episodes of Dick Dixon in the 21st century. It's a fuzzy, distorted blur, like watching BBC Two on the Isle of Wight. I can barely make out anything through the interference, just vague shapes moving up and down. Lieutenant Fox, can you use the computer to improve the picture quality? Of course, Admiral. It hadn't occurred to me to do that. That's why they made me Admiral. I think outside the box. Applying image enhancement. Warning. The distress signal you are about to see contains images of a graphic nature that some viewers may find disturbing. Oh dear. I hope this isn't another one of those situations where they've started eating each other. Dick Dixon and the Love Bug is available for purchase now at www.averagerobb.com. my lovely loves uh, I'm going to plug my Patreon page now there will be another trailer for Dick Dixon after this because there's three whole episodes out there now and they really are good fun however my Patreon page is patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydoke and if you sign up to that for as little as £3 a month although there are tiers that go up and uh, a couple of inducements up the ladder but most stuff is available at the £3 mark you even get a 10% discount on that if you sign up for a year, but you get bonus material, you get advance releases for Happy Times and Places. We're about six months in advance of uh, anyone that just tunes in on iTunes or Podbean or wherever. And there is access as well. We have a little bit of back and forth and I take requests. I mean, you know, nothing, nothing, you know, I won't be dancing naked in the moonlight to the tunes of Huey Lewis in the news. Um, well, not at least until April. Uh, and uh, oh yeah, it's nice. It's nice that it's it's it's, uh, it's a good way of doing things. It's a modern way of doing things, isn't it? But look, I know not everyone can sign up uh, to a monthly commitment. There's also Kofi, Kofi.com forward slash Toby Haydock, where you can uh, throw some 
stuff my way if you feel so inclined or if I sound particularly hungry. But you know what costs you nothing? Going to iTunes or Podbean or wherever you get your podcasts and giving these five stars and a couple of lines of review because that just really helps to separate this podcast from the very crowded market out there of Doctor Who podcasts. But mostly, I'm just grateful to you for listening uh, and thanks for continuing to do so. Episodes of Dick Dixon in the 21st century. Emerald, Professor Ship's just gone into warp. Do you know where he's warped to? Uh, calculating sector vectors now. Yes, he was on a bearing for the constellation of Cassiopeia. Cassiopeia? Yes, Dick. Cassiopeia. The constellation of Cassiopeia? But that's uncharted space. Nobody has been there and chartered it. Nevertheless, that's where the professor is. The constellation of Cassiopeia. Cassiopeia. As I said, Cassiopeia. PG, what do you know about it? About what? The constellation of Cassiopeia. The constellation of Cassiopeia. Solar sister of nine planets, one potentially capable of supporting life. Then that must be where he's going. But why? There's only one way to find out. We'll have to go after him. You're right, Dick. The Professor must be going there for a reason. But what that reason is, I just don't know. And I'm not sure I want to know. But one thing I do know is that if we don't find out, we'll never know for sure one way or the other. <laughs> Lieutenant Fox, lay in a course for Cassiopeia. Yes, Admiral. Laying in a course for Cassiopeia. Dick Dixon and the Menagerie Artois is available for purchase now from www.averagerock.com.